Well, I'm happy to welcome you. This is a good day for us to be together. And we're gathering as the Christ Journey family, not only here in South Florida, though shout out to Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, so glad that we're connected, but also to those of you who are joining us across the nation and around the world, wherever you're making your connection with us, we're praying God's blessing for you this day as we continue our countdown to Christmas in a season of celebration with a series we are calling Christmas Party playlist. And the title of today's message is You'll Go Down in History. And you'll see where we're going with that in just a second. But I want to start by sharing a story with you, a true story from one of our own Christ Journey members' life. Kendall Christ Journey member who has served for a while and yet I wanted you to listen in as uh, I share the words that were given to me. I found Jesus in college when I wasn't looking for him. I was searching for heaven, a yearning for eternity with God tugged at my heart, and I could find no clear answer how to get there, other than the, I think, suppositions of my well-meaning high school friends, both Jews and non-Jews alike. Until then, everyone I knew with any knowledge of the Bible had either a literature-centered knowledge of it, understanding of it, its literary themes and its tropes, or an understanding limited to the Old Testament's great heroes. Abraham, the father of my people. Noah, who obeyed God and saved the animals. Moses, who um, led my people from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. But none of this answered my burning questions. What happens when I die? And if there's a heaven, how do I get there? Well, when I left home and came to the University of Miami as a freshman, a floor mate warned me against, um, about a particular student, to avoid a particular student, John, because he studied the Bible. It was a warning against narrow-minded, closed-minded, weird thinking, I suppose. But instead of being repelled by the idea, I, I was drawn in. Um, John purportedly studied the Bible, and that intrigued, I was intrigued that someone who had spent time actually reading and, gasp, studying the Bible, if John studied the Bible, perhaps he was an expert in its hidden meanings and could help me answer my question. So, with my new source to interrogate, I sought out the alleged Bible scholar on our floor and just peppered him with questions about the afterlife. And about heaven. John, a strong follower of Jesus, responded with, uh, with the answers he had, and they all focused on believing in Jesus. Well, for me, as a Jew, that was simply unacceptable. Like every other Jew I knew, I believed that Jesus was an idol of Christians the false God that stood in the way of a relationship with God. Didn't this young man know that? Jesus might be okay for you, I replied. But I'm Jewish. I'm not interested in Jesus. I'm looking for an answer bigger than that. Well, despite our disagreements, John and I remained friends, and we kept our discussions open. And then one day, John asked me if he could read to me something from the Bible. Up until that point, all our discussions had been simply that, discussions 
and we hadn't opened the Bible together, yet, although I now know with complete certainty that he was scouring the scriptures uh, to find answers to my questions, tentatively I agreed. And uh, the first part of the New Testament that John showed me was the story of Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council who came to Jesus looking for answers. And, uh, and whom Jesus taught about being born anew. In very clear words, the Gospel of John clearly declared that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then the second scripture that John showed me was Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, there it was in black and white. Sure, I could refute and argue with John's assertions about Jesus, but now, faced with the Bible, Holy Scripture with a spiritual authority far greater than my own, I was struck by the clear revolutionary refutations of my own notions of heaven. Jesus was the answer to eternal life in heaven, and he was intentionally more specific and focused that my former assumption that the path to heaven is broad and expansive. Jesus wasn't an idol separating us from God, as I had previously thought. Rather, Jesus was God's bridge to reconcile us back to himself. Well, reckoning with my own need for God's saving grace, internally I struggled against these ideas for weeks because of the the ingrained ideas of my upbringing until the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly and repeatedly. You know it's true. Stop fighting me. Finally, Certain that the Bible's plan for eternity was more reliable than anything my family had expected me to believe, I relented, and I confessed. Now, over 25 years after I committed my life into God's hands and accepted his gift of eternal life through Jesus, the lavish American style of celebrating Christmas is still somewhat foreign to me. During my youth, it was, it was something that other people did while my family went out to the movies and then ate at the local Chinese restaurant afterwards. Sure, I enjoyed the weeks of festive music, cheerful greetings, of um, neighborhood light displays. I even enjoyed decorating other people's trees and eating their holiday goodies. But this essential life-giving reason at the center of Christmas, the birth of a Savior, was lost to me amongst the wrappings and the trappings of Christmas celebrations. And even today, as a Jew born anew, married to a man whose own Christmas traditions or whose own Christian traditions are very unassuming by American measures, the visual signs of Christmas in my home are intentionally modest. 
a small tabletop tree, one evergreen garland. So I don't lose focus on the reason for the season. I love partaking in other people's celebratory Christmas customs, but in my heart, I'm a visitor to those festive traditions. To this day, Christmas to me is about God's faithful fulfillment of his promise to redeem his people from their sins as foretold in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That word Jeremiah got from Yahweh God dates back some 600 years before Christ. It was a horrible time in their nation. Jerusalem was being overwhelmed and overcome and taken down by Assyria. The prophet Jeremiah was put in prison, and that's where this word from God came to him. Hey, I'm going to bring a new covenant. And he found comfort in it, saying, well, then it helped him deal with what was happening in his world and what appeared to be the dissolving of life as he knew it. You know, it's a wonderful thing when any person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, but it's a particularly amazing gift when a person of Jewish descent declares Yeshua their Messiah. And I've been blessed to know many in our ministry through the years. The story that I just shared with you belongs to Wendy Matthias, who is a Jewish daughter of the Most High God through this surprise encounter that God gave her through John as he brought her attention to the New Covenant um, John, the Bible-studying Christian guy who was willing to field the questions and engage the conversations and deal with the emotional stiff-arming of the situation until she came to faith. And then, of course, there was the other John. There was the John the Apostle, the Jewish Apostle John, close to Jesus, who wrote down his eyewitness accounts so that people like Wendy and people like me and people like you could could know Jesus personally as well. So I'm so thankful today for people in our lives, for people in this church, for people in our experience that are willing to share what they know and to do so in a way that is a, an opportunity to assist us, to assist people like me. I haven't always followed Christ. How about you? Is that how it happened for you? Somebody who cared about you in your life knew that you were asking questions and they were willing to be part of the search, part of the answer? Or did, did you come, maybe even today, because somebody invited you, hey, church isn't your thing, you're not religious, really, you know, but you thought, well, I, I like them and also I'll go. This is how it happens for most of us, if not all of us, that somebody in our lives cares about us to the point that they offer an invitation or that a conversation begins, or maybe you even discovered that somebody on your floor or in your office is one of those. You know, a person of faith. Like when my mother was office manager at the plaza in, uh, in downtown Kansas City, she kind of earned the reputation of being Mother Superior because <laughs> they, they, 
they learned that she was a woman of faith who didn't just, wasn't just religious, she didn't just leave it at church, but she, she lived out of her faith and she would be willing to pray for others. So though, even though they may have made fun of her on the face of it, that when troubles came, they knew who they could go to and they could talk privately with or they could ask for prayer for a loved one. Maybe that's where you are. You know, I mean, I don't think she was like that religious guy in Homer in The Simpsons. Well, I've forgotten his name right now. But, you know, who's so annoying. No. She was a presence of faith that showed love in a way that other people who were seeking might be able to find their way forward. One of the greatest joys that God lets believers share in is the privilege of helping other people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And, um, and then helping others get answers to their questions. Not only the intellectual ones, though those are significant and important, we try to deal with those around here, but the emotional ones. And the personal ones that sometimes cause us just to want to keep our distance, right? And it's been said, but it's so true, that you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. As a believer, in your office space, in your school space, in your neighborhood, I'm talking to believers now, that other people, when they find out, you, they're not going to read the Bible because they think it's a book full of bigotry and hatred and, you know, all the things that are getting spoken about it these days. But when they see somebody like you or somebody like me who seeks to apply our faith in a way that is loving, that is real, that is kind, that can be helpful, then they're willing to listen in. At least Wendy was. Even though at first she said, oh, I don't, you know, other people were saying, stay away from him. But that actually was what drew her to him, was to say, maybe if he's willing to undergo the ridicule, then that's somebody that would know what they're talking about. So I want to encourage anybody out there, because here's, this is so cool. This is how beautiful it is. This door swings both ways. Some of you are maybe hungry for God to help you deepen your relationship with Christ, that you want to know more, you want to dig into his word, you want to experience his spirit in your life, you want to see his blessing come into your life, and, and yeah, God does too. So, But part of the wonderful thing is that as he gives you answers and deepens you and expands you, that then he can now use you to help somebody else. It wasn't because somebody else was the focus of your attention. You just wanted to grow. You wanted to go deeper. You wanted to to build a stronger impact in your personal life. And God has given it to you, but he can use that to help somebody else. And here's vice versa. If you have somebody in your life that needs answers, somebody that's come to you for prayer or for help, and then you say, well, hey, I, you know, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to investigate it. I'll see if I can't help you out. And then you start drilling down into the answers. Then what happens? Well, you get blessed. It's not just about getting them an answer. It's like, oh my goodness, the Lord surprises you. How many times have I heard somebody say, you know, I used to love being in Bible study, but now that I'm teaching, now that I'm leading, now that I'm doing the facilitating, I'm getting so much more than I ever did when I was a student. Well, it's because that's how God works it. He, he gifts us when we are connected to others' lives. So here's what I'm saying. Sharing your faith with somebody else is a way to deepen your own personal life with God. So I want to encourage you. If you're saying, you know, I'm not really the kind of person that goes and talks to people about God. Rethink that. Rethink that. Wendy wouldn't be sharing this story 
and doing what she does in her family if John hadn't been willing to engage or even be willing to deal with the polite put-offs, you know, until the answer came to be able to say, oh, hey, you know, I was just thinking about you. Could I read something to you? God uses us as we connect to one another, and that's part of what the story of Christmas is about, where we pray for others that are far from God to get closer to God. We pray for people who have yet to meet the Lord to have their opportunity to hear from the Lord. And we sang just a moment ago, oh, come all ye faithful. Okay, let me ask you, how about all ye faithless? What about them? We say, no, you stay away. No, we don't. We say, oh, come everybody. Sometimes I'm like, oh, come all you half faith filled. You know, I've got faith, but I'm about half full. I'm not, I'm not all the way there. How about you? Now, this is the kind of church where we say, oh, come everybody. And then we will help each other when we're in his presence together. It was as John showed Wendy verses out of his life and out of God's word that the Spirit spoke to her heart and her mind. Now, this series, we've been investigating songs that were written by Jewish composers and yet have enriched the Christmas experience. Is that ironic? And some of them, we say they're secular songs, but maybe you were surprised when you... uh, when you heard that they were written by Jewish composers. Well, you may really be surprised when you hear the one we're talking about today and see where that one goes. But even we've also seen how Psalms from the Bible, these are the songbook of the Old Testament, were all written by Jewish composers in anticipation, some of them, of Messiah who was coming. So when the disciples of the first century, when Jesus was born and arrived and was living his life and doing his ministry, they were prompted by the Holy Spirit to remember verses from the songs, Jewish songs, that helped them say, oh, that was what Messiah was supposed to do. And so we see in the writings of the Gospels and the New Testament places where the writers tag up with psalms and how they saw them fulfilled in Jesus. It's like they're literally coming true before their eyes in Jesus as God's kind of Messiah. I want to just go through a list real quickly. You can take a photograph if you want to investigate it later, or it's on the Christ Journey app um, in the notes, the message notes for you. But there, there, are some, there are many of them, but I'm going to give you 12. Number one, he would be God begotten. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm where God the Father says, I have begotten you, today you are my son. And we see that repeated two times in the Gospel of Matthew, the baptism and the transfiguration of Jesus. This is my son whom I am well pleased The voice from heaven said. Secondly, he would be adored and then gifted by kings from afar. Psalm 72. That was written around 970 B.C. And we see it fulfilled this time of year, we say, in the gifts of the Magi who came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. Then third, he would be anointed by God's Spirit. Psalm 45. Well, the Spirit was seen coming on Jesus like a dove, and then Jesus said, the works that I do, this this is the Spirit of God working in me. I just do what the Father is doing. And then number four, he would bear the reproach of others. Psalm 69, we see that fulfilled on the cross, but specifically, Barabbas was one of the others that took 
Jesus took his place. If anybody could say Jesus took my place on the cross, it was Barabbas. But he was there for all of us, bearing the reproach of others. Number six, he would be hated. Or number five, he would be an eternal priest. Psalm 110. This was a priest after the eternal mysterious order of Melchizedek that predated the Levites. This is amazing. But the writer of Hebrews says, you know, that was Jesus. He's standing before God on our behalf. That's what a a priest does. Our Messiah does that. Number six, he would be hated without cause. Number Psalm 69. And we see that as Pilate said, I find no fault in him. But he was so viciously hated at the time. Number seven, he would be rejected by his own. Psalm 118. We see that fulfilled in John 1. He would be mocked. That's what happened on the cross. If you're the son of God, save yourself. Number nine, betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41, verse nine. That's quoted in John 13 where Judas was going to go betray him. And then number 10, crucified. Psalm 22. We're going to come back to that one in January later. But Matthew 27, the fulfillment of that. Number 11, he would be raised from the dead, Psalm 16, which is quoted in Acts chapter 13, verse 35, in the early preaching of the uh, disciples as evidence that Jesus is God's Messiah and then ascended. Psalm 68, verse 18, Paul quotes that one about Jesus. Even though Paul did not see the ascension happen, the other apostle eyewitnesses did. And Paul said, and here's what it means. In the book of Ephesians. So all I'm saying is the eyewitness writers of the New Testament literally saw the Psalms of of, uh, coming alive in Jesus Christ. And I want us to hear this one again. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. He suffered ridicule and rejection. Just as Psalm 118 said, the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone, foundation, the capstone. Now, sometimes we feel ridiculed and rejected as we live our faith, as we share our faith. But as my mother saw, and as each of us do, God is at work, even in the midst of the ridicule and the rejection to the point that he can help somebody like Wendy find their way through the darkness because somebody else is willing to share their journey and then shine the light and show the way and thus make history in somebody else's life because of it. Have you guessed today's song yet? You know, every week the notes behind me change because they're a heads up to anybody who reads music as to what tune and song we're getting ready to uh, explore. This title song... The title character of this song is one who was familiar with ridicule, with rejection. They used to laugh at him. They called him names. They wouldn't let him join in any of their games. And then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, everybody, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, Won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Oh, my goodness, what is this? The storyline, the one ridiculed, the one rejected, the one outcast became the very one who would light and shine the way and save the day. Does that sound like a storyline you're familiar with? Like maybe Messiah? 
who would be ridiculed and rejected, who would be outcast and yet save the day and ultimately go down in history so that we might find our way to eternity, 